Of the uh, experts. I'm Aggie Hewitt. I'm Irene Marquette. And okay, so let's just figure out where we are now because again, things have changed. Things have changed. As we all know, as we all understand, uh, the world is in a constant state of flux. Uh, this is uh, an unprecedented time, as we yeah. keep being told. Absolutely. And like, we said we were going to do something and we realized that we couldn't do it, which was- We couldn't do it. We didn't want to do it. It's not what we wanted to do right now. It's it not what we- time. It's not the time. It's yeah. not the time. It's not the place. It's just, it was just not right. So we decided we were not going to do a series on conspiracy theories. Yeah. It's like, it's too bleak out there, guys. We can't, we, we can't be like adding to the- to the melee. <laughs> I, mean, I, I feel like I'm about to talk about like literally the bleakest thing on the fucking planet. Yeah. But not. I don't know. Okay. So that is true. <laughs> so, okay. So we were thinking it's like, we started doing all of this research. I wish you guys could see the spreadsheet that I constructed. <laughs> I know. And we were like adding to it and emailing back and forth about like the ethical considerations about all of these different conspiracy theories and the psychology of the conspiracy theories and just like so much. Yes, you know, like as the self-proclaimed, the experts, we we want to do our due diligence. We want to do our homework. We want to be like real experts. And in this matter, we just didn't think that it was right. So we switched gears. We're thinking about a new... Um, a new thing, and I suggested the experts mm, a potpourri. Yeah, so Irene suggested a potpourri, and so we just decided this is crazy, but stay with us. You're not stay gonna with us. What happened, okay. So we were like, let's just a potpourri means we both just come with like articles, ideas, stories we want to talk about, and we tell each other about these ideas. It's well, like yeah. I love to hear Aggie tell me about something that I don't know about. The As way Aggie ever. you explain things is the best ever. <laughs> and Irene, the same. So we, okay, so we decided, all right, I don't know how we're going to figure this out. We're like, let's go online and find like a random word generator. Yeah, like we should have a prompt. You called out, you were like random word generator, which is such an amazing idea. Well, I don't know why that idea came to me so quickly, but it did. And I immediately went to it and I, we went with the first word that we got, which was van. Van. That's V-A-N, van. And I was like, okay, well, I already know what I'm going to do. You did. You said that immediately. And um, it took me a couple of days to 
land on the perfect thing. And when I found it, I was like, oh my God, it's so obvious. And yeah. I started doing all this research. And then today, Aggie, you texted me. <laughs> and I said, hey, how many van items do you have? And Irene was like, well, I have one and I also have this poem. And I said, okay, well, mine is technically a bus. And I was like, oh, I know what yours is and I have the same one. But we ended up doing the same thing. <laughs> and we have not said to each other what the thing is. We just we know, know in our hearts that we did the same thing. It's the same thing because it definitely is. So is. There's no way it can be anything else. So on the count of three, I think we should say the person that this is the subject of. Okay. Okay, ready? Yeah. One, two, three. Christopher, Christopher McCann. <laughs> the word van and we picked the exact same thing. We did. We did. Oh my God. But this is why, because he's in the news. He's back in the news. Yeah, he's back in the news um, as of a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, so uh, Christopher McCandles was uh, a free-spirited adventurer. Yes. Also, McCandles? McCandless. McCandless? I thought McCandless. And then I saw in that Washington Post thing, there was a little video that went with it that was calling him McCandles. And then I found a YouTube video of an old 2020 episode where this guy is hiking around with John Krakauer and they're calling him McCandless and it's spelled M-C-C-A-N-D-L-E-S-S. -S. So I always thought it was McCandless. I, I don't know what to say. I feel like this is a choose your own adventure. I'm sure that there's a there. I'm sure there's a right way to say it. Say it. And honestly, McCandless does sound more like a name than McCandles. <laughs> McCandles sounds yeah, but I don't when, know. Did you okay? So John Krakauer, you mentioned him. He is a uh, journalist and a uh, a writer. He's written several incredible books. Some of my all-time favorite nonfiction books, I would say. Yes. Um, very famously into the wild. Yeah. So let's go. But should we tell the story of, of Christopher and then get into John and then get into the bus? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. So Christopher McCandless, as I thought he was named, was born in 1964 in El Segundo, California. But when he was only two years old, he and his entire family moved to Virginia and he was like a Southern guy like he ended up going to college in Georgia and apparently in the 80s he went back to California and discovered that his wife his father's ex-wife that he thought was his father's ex-wife was actually still married to his dad which is new to me I did not know that one before today I didn't know that either and I think there are just more things coming out explaining sort of like what happened with his life. Also in 2014, something else I didn't know, his sister wrote a book called The Wild Truth, um, where she alleges that their family, their parents were psychologically and sexually and physically 
abusing them? I, uh, I, I saw, I saw that when I was reading about this today, I didn't know, um, that that existed either. Um, well, that just came out in 2014. So I mean, yeah, I had, did you read wild? Oh yeah. I read into the wild, but I mean, I read it like, you know, a really long time ago. Yeah. I feel like I read it before the movie came out. Is I read crazy? it before the movie came out too. Yeah. And then the movie yeah. came out in 2007. So that was like a really long time. I also uh, have on my list to discuss Emil Hirsch. Well, Emil Hirsch. Yeah. Well, we'll get there. We'll so, get there. Okay. So, okay. So <laughs> these are just sort of inter- things that maybe are important to know about this person's psyche because what he ended up doing is confusing for people and is complicated for people, which was, yeah, he gave his $24,000 trust fund to Oxfam and drove his car until it broke down where he abandoned it and just went off on a journey. Into the wild. Into the wild. And this, he, I think this, he did this in 1990 and he just was traveling around the United States, Mexico. He went to Arizona, California, Colorado, South Dakota. He snuck into Mexico on a kayak and then had trouble getting back into the country. But of course he just like talked his way into it, you know, getting back. Mm-hmm. Um, he decided he's like working on jobs and he's like always kind of wanted to go to Alaska. Another thing about him was that he had this desire to like live this free wild life, but felt frustrated because all of America had already been mapped out and like conquered. So he didn't have anything left to discover quote unquote discover. So his solution to that was to just throw the map out and then it would all be new to him because he wasn't using a map. Yeah. Um, and in 1992, he finally made it to Alaska. Hitchhiking. It's so crazy to think about hitchhiking today, isn't it? I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't know that it was like geographically possible to hitchhike to Alaska. Really? I, uh, you know what? The first time I think I really thought about it was the movie Wendy and Lucy. Did you ever see that? Yes. Does she go to Alaska? She is driving to Alaska. Uh, she's on her way to Alaska and I think she's in like Washington state when, um, her car breaks down. Yeah. And then, uh, her dog gets picked up. Yeah. Oh my God. What a movie. Um, but that's sort of, I feel like the spirit of Michelle Williams, because that movie came out, I feel like, right before the financial cri- crash or like right around the time that it happened. And it was about a person who was already, who was like ahead of the crash, like she had lost everything. And she, I think she had like $500 in her pocket and she was just going to go figure it out. I feel like there's a similar spirit. Well, she has also like this sort of unspoken complicated relationship with her family where she, there's that one scene where she calls home and she like can't, doesn't really have the words and doesn't know what to say. And she can't get any help from her, from her. I think she talks to like her sister. Um, 
yeah, I mean, she definitely has like the same sort of spirit. Um, that movie, oh my God. Then that scene where she's like camping and she wakes up and that guy is standing there staring at her. Oh my, that's so terrifying. Do you know what I'm talking about? Did we ever, did we see that movie together at the music box? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know if we did. I don't remember. I can't remember either. I remember seeing that movie and I, yeah, I don't know. My, my memories of it are disjointed, but I know I saw it at the music box. I have no idea where I saw it. Maybe, probably. I wouldn't be surprised if I saw it with you at the music box. That sounds like something I would do. Um, <laughs> this is a fun way to spend a night. Oh, yeah. Well, actually sad, but also fun. Yes, yes. Okay, so he's <laughs> hiking around Alaska, and he's like, I want to go to the um, – it's called the Stampede Trail. Mm-hmm. And he's – hitchhiking with this guy and the guy's like dude you cannot go to the stampede trail and chris is like i don't care oh also he starts calling himself alexander super tramp right and he's like no no no, i'm gonna go i'm gonna do this the guy's like okay whatever i'm gonna give you a pair of boots and two sandwiches and a bag of chips that's all he has for food when he goes into the alaskan wilderness that's it and he's got like books and stuff and like sleeping like camping stuff and like personal a journal that he's been keeping, which is very yes. Um, Denali National Forest in Denali, right? Mm-hmm. And he crosses the Telenkia. Oh, I know I said that wrong. Teclania, Teclanica, Teclanica. Fuck, I do not Ooh, know. Good job. Teclanica. Thanks. I sounded it out. He crosses the Teclanica River. And when he crosses it, he it's only up to his knees. And he, again, doesn't really know where he is. And when he gets to the other side, he discovers a city bus, a Fairbanks city bus, which is the city that he hitchhiked from, that's just out in the middle of the wilderness. And that, to me, is just so surreal. Yes. It had been abandoned in, like, 1960. It had been there for decades by the time he found it. Yeah. And Uh, it's a very striking... The image of of this bus, and I guess it had been used as shelter for hunters um, over the years, and um, it's just, like, an iconic image. Um, You know, it's the picture for any wild... Yes. It's very, it's like so weird to see something like that. And now it's like overgrown. Well now, but at the end it was like overgrown with wildflowers and it was just something like really eerie about it, but also sort of comforting. I mean, if you're out there in the middle of nowhere and you see anything man-made, I mean, I feel like that would just become the most comforting thing. Like, of course you would live in it. You know? Yeah. And it's, um, it's just like part of the, New, like the ironies of the story too that he's going to escape and he yes. is like taking shelter in a symbol of like, like quote unquote civilization. yeah yeah and he ends up like living in the one it's like the one connection he has to humanity other than his books and his own writing is this bus that he found in the middle of nowhere it's like his only connection 
like home. And um, how long did he end up living there? He was there for, I believe, 112 days. He, he, so, cause what happened was he wanted to go back, but by the time he went, the Teklanika river had risen and it was impossible to cross it. And that river, it turns out is why this like path and this area is so dangerous because it's like a really cold, really fast running river. Yes. It's really hard to cross it and very like unadvisable <laughs> don't do it <laughs> don't do it some don't would say it. it's treacherous it is a treacherous ass river do not do it so but so he didn't know that when he crossed it but when he came back he realized he wasn't gonna be able to, to cross back so he ended up having to live there all summer he got there in april and he died in august so he was there for a long time yeah um and he was it's longer than you've been in maine as yeah, I mean March to July. Oh, it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not living in a bus, but but he lived in a bus, and he also uh, was eating seeds, which might have been what killed him. So John Krakauer went back and became like sort of obsessed with what it was that actually killed Chris McCandless. He was like, oh, he died. Sorry, did you not know that? Everybody knows that, right? I, yeah, he died in 1992. There's a very famous picture that he took of himself. I think it's his last photo. He's like extremely gaunt and he's got like this big bushy beard. Am I remembering this right? And um, he is sitting in front of the bus. There's a picture of him sitting in front of the bus. There's a picture that he took before he died and he's holding a sign, I believe. No. He wrote, what does the sign say? I'm wrong. He wrote in his journal... I've had a happy life and thank the Lord goodbye and God bless all on August 8th, 1992, which is 112 day, 112. And then I think I read somewhere that the next like four days just had slashes on them and 118 there's nothing. So he died in that time. Um, and Oh. Oh, go ahead. And he was found two weeks later by hunters. His body was found two weeks later. The day before my birthday, September 6th. Oh my God, Irene. Um, I made it all about me. Mm. <laughs> so we've mentioned John Krakauer a couple times. John Krakauer is a journalist um, and uh, he's he's written many great books. I recommend Under the Banner of Heaven about uh, fundamentalist Mormons. Yes. If you, if you want to go down the Krakauer train. Under the Banner of Heaven is great. Um, what's the one he wrote into thin air is really good about Everett. that is spectacular. Um, I guess that's all I've read into. Th- yeah. Into thin There's air the football book. I haven't read that one. I didn't read the football one. I didn't read Missoula. I have a book of his essays right here that I got on vacation. That's called original crack hour, but I haven't read it. He, um, so he wrote an initial, uh, article for Outsider Magazine, um, about McCandless. Mm. Yes. Did I say right? McCandless. Um, which turned into the book. And like you were saying, Aggie, he got very obsessed and into the different possible, um, reasons why he might have died. 
Yeah, he got very interested. I mean, he kept publishing articles like for years after. He has articles that were published in like 2015 about like the different like um types of fibers that might have been in his system and like all of the different seeds that he might have consumed. The main three theories that I found are that it was either called a wild potato seed, the seed of what's called a a wild sweet pea, or something called um rabbit starvation, which is where you die because you eat too much lean game you survive like exclusively on lean game and you're you know, and we need like fats fat fats acid heat, right to stay alive fat acid heat yeah you need some <laughs> to be with you to, to get um your proper nutrition um, and i feel like the theory that is like the most prevalent and it's also in the movie is the one that he mistakes um like uh, a plant for uh, something else. And there's a plant that he eats that like, I think I forget the wild potato. That's the, the wild potato. potato. Yeah. I think and that's it, what was in the movie. Uh, the, the, like the toxicity of it, it makes it so that you can't like your body like, can't absorb nutrients. So he's like eating, but he's not getting any, like he's not getting nourished and he starves to death anyway. That's one possibility, but we'll never know exactly what it was because no, we'll never know. But I, I feel like the movie takes that, that point of view. I guess it's more cinematic because there's a scene where he like opens up a book and he's like, "Oh no, this is the wrong plant." Right, but I don't um, know that that's like I don't. I think that people still are like debating what it actually is. Yes, I for one will take the Sean Penn revisionist. <laughs> Always go with pen. Always go. Um, uh, something about something about this story that has always stuck with me, and I found it very haunting. And um, when I read the book, when I saw the movie, every time I think about it, this is the thing that like broadcasts itself in my brain. That in the days before he died, he was reading a book and I don't remember what it was because uh, I didn't do as good a research as you, Aggie. But he, um, in the margins of the book, he writes, uh, happiness isn't real unless it's shared. Yes. And to me, that was like, you know, this guy has spent his whole life searching for something and has desired this, um, this freedom and like autonomy that he couldn't have in any other part of his life for any reason. And he got himself, he painted himself into a corner to this like situation that he could not get out of. And like whatever joy he felt in that, he couldn't fully experience because he couldn't share it with anybody. I don't know why I'm over explaining this thing. but. It's so striking because it's, he, like, it's, like, one of those things where you have to, like, lose everything to see how much you had in the beginning, in the first place, where the only thing that he didn't have in that, in that moment was human connection. And the only thing that he wanted was that human connection because he realized that his happiness wasn't or his feeling of 
contentment or his feeling of like pride and having survived in the wild for as long as he had wasn't meaningful because he was totally alone. And I feel like it puts this like kind of striking coda on his life and it almost puts like a moral on the story of his life um, in like a artistic and cinematic way. It's entirely possible that he was incredibly lonely in that moment and just wrote some wrote how he was feeling and we've interpreted it as these like wise words from this sort of because he's sort of become like a sage to people because of what he because what he did was so different but people have become like almost religious in how they like they they say like they're making pilgrimages to this bus and people like will people have died going to visit the bus yeah so that kind of brings us to like the what you know drew us to the story like when we heard the word van that we got here is is this this bus this place where he died and it is a, a a a pilgrimage spot for a lot of people and kind of this totem of everything that he represented and it's it's interesting to um be reminded of that aggie that like you know it is our interpretation and like we don't know every time you jot something down you're not like making an ultimate personal statement about your life he knew he was going to die and that people were going to find his things. Yes. Which is how, how I read it and like how I think about it, which is why ultimately I find the idea of traveling to this bus to honor him. Ultimately a strange action. (laughs) I mean, I can understand wanting to see it. I, I was watching like these YouTube videos of these like honestly like kind of douchey people who would be like, oh, we like chartered a helicopter to we get like drone footage out here and we're going to spend the night. And then they're like, oh, I feel the spirit of him around me. Like, this is so great. And like, <laughs> ghost hunters, they weren't, they, no, it was like more like spiritual than ghostly. They were like, very tomato tomato i mean i guess so they felt very like emotionally invested in the story of this person and they were like i and i truly i mean it's not something that i really i mean it's it's fascinating but i don't know how much i relate to what he did um but i mean just like the thing of him giving away that money i i I mean $24,000, $24,000, especially, it's not 1992 any, or 1990 anymore, like. And he was, like, 22. Yeah, that's, like, life change. That is a life-changing amount of money yeah. for, like, 99% but, of people. But if he's, like, in this abusive situation and that is, like, a symbol. that symbolizes everything. Father or his parents yeah. or whatever, then, I mean, like what an act of rebellion to like give it away and walk into the woods and die. I mean, like what a, I mean, like, I mean, what a, he must've been an unhappy person. I mean, he must've just had so much anger in him. Yes. And I, but I, I ultimately think, I don't know. I, 
I mean, who's to say? Like, he he did what he did, and um, even those last words, like, indicates that he found some kind of peace, and, like, the sorrow that he felt was that he wasn't able to share it with anybody, but that he did actually, he, he, the acknowledgement that he didn't have someone to share it with doesn't take away the fact that like he was experiencing, you know, what he wanted. Well, what he thought I he wanted. Wanted, I just feel like there's, there is ultimately something kind of, there's, it, it's optimistic, like how it starts. It's so noble. And I feel like if you look at the nineties in general and how, um, like what was being communicated to us culturally through like I don't know alternative music yeah writing like there was this um distrust of capitalism and uh like toss it away go like yeah but to like actually do it I mean like who would actually give away that much money and today or, I mean, in the 90s or ever. I mean, like, it's a, yeah. most people would probably, like, say they would want to do something like that, but they wouldn't do anything. Like, they wouldn't actually do that. So he... And to give it to Oxfam, too, you know? Yeah. He did, you know, he just gave it's it... It's so much more nihilistic to do, like, I don't know, like, what would AJ Soprano do with $24,000? I don't know. Or, like, spend it at fucking UCB or something. <laughs> Like, I mean, maybe it's better to just give it to Oxfam. I mean, I mean, yes, like, man. shit, you know, like, give it to Oxfam. Yeah. Help the world. Yes. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I feel like they, I, I, I mean. All right. The pilgrimage is making more sense to me now, actually, as we talk this out. The pilgrim, the people making pilgrimages to, to his. Yeah, to go to the bus. Like, I'm just thinking about how frustrated I am now with the choices people make. And yeah, give it like, give it away to your fellow man and just get it, get out. (laughs) Respect. Just get out. Just get out. Um, that's like when I was talking to Noah Gregoropoulos in Chicago, the improv teacher that we both knew. And I was talking about like being green or conservation or something. And he was like, Aggie, the only actually green thing you can do is have an abortion and kill yourself. <laughs> Which was so edgy, but so true. It was part of that conversation and much like the words written in the margins of Christopher McCandless's book, I'll never forget it. It was so funny. I feel like the way I said it, it sounded mean. But he didn't say it. Actually, he didn't say oh. you. He said we. Yes, we. He used the royal we. The green thing. Is have abortions, abortions and kill ourselves. Should I not have said that he said that? No, you can say, he wouldn't care. He would love it. And also, he's not no. listening to a podcast. <laughs> no, he's not. And it was a joke. Anyway. But it was true. I hope he's saying it. I hope wherever Noah is, he's saying that to somebody right now. I mean, it's like, 
I feel like this question comes up about him sometimes where it was like, was he suicidal? Was it an accident? Was he Christopher, not Noah, not Noah. Noah's alive and well. <laughs> um, but he was, it's like, was he suicidal? Was he dumb? Was he like, what, what happened? I mean, I've heard people say both of those things about him. Was he just like a free spirit who made a mistake? Like, well, that first uh, Krakauer article is called Death of an Innocent, yeah. I think. Yeah. And I think that that's part of his allure or legend, too, is that he's he's just, like, pure in a way. And I, uh, he, he just, you know, acted in a pure-hearted manner. A lot of people feel really frustrated by what he did. Um, like a lot of I people feeling that when I read the book, actually. Yeah. Um, but you know, you know what? what? Um, I think because I there 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 are there are just times where I have a, a knee jerk reaction and I want. I want people to be more active, like to have the drive to do something so extreme and to like turn that impulse inward and um, some like in some cases feels like a like wasted energy or potential or something. I don't know that I've gotten older. I feel like I've chilled out on this a bit, but like, when Kurt Cobain died, I remember I was in like fifth grade or something and my parents' friends were over and they were having this conversation about it. And I thought it was bullshit. And I remember passionately arguing with them about what a coward he was. And it's just like weird now to think of like some 10 year olds like fighting about that. Yeah. But it's like, I mean, I would never make that argument now. And um, I like, I understand my feelings more. I think that I was more identifying with his daughter and, um, and like knowing like what an impact he had on like younger people and like what a bad example I thought that that was. I remember feeling angry and frustrated about that. That was like a what? huge, um, that was like a huge like criticism when he killed himself. I remember I was really young, but I remember being like, he did a terrible thing. He set such a bad example. And like, yeah. you don't know how many young people are going to think that that's what they like are going to kill themselves now because Kurt Cobain killed himself. And I don't know that that ever happened, but I remember that like being said like on the news or whatever. Yeah, I'm sure that that affected how I felt about that. I remember another instance where I was, um, I I was in college and I a, a teacher like showed us this movie where these people were just like, I don't know, it was one of those like intellectual like my dinner with Andre type movies where people just sit and talk about these lofty ideas, mm -hmm. and I remember feeling really frustrated about it and. It's like, who cares about this? Like, who cares about these people? Like, who cares about these just, people and their ideas? 
Yeah, like they're just like pontificating. They're like, this isn't about anything. They're not doing anything. Like, this is so detached from reality. I feel like this, the Into the Wild story at the time that I read it was kind of falling in line with these things. Like, these are passionate, smart people with so much potential. And it, it just um, gets turned inward and it, it, it just like fizzles out. And I wanted like, and, and still want it like, you know, it to go outward and be like, have a revolutionary effect. But there's more than one way to have that effect, you know? Yeah. Is what but I mean I'm from my elderly age. Well, he sort of became like, he became something greater than like, he became a symbol mm -hmm. and it was sort of partly because John Krakauer turned him into one. Yes. Um, I mean, his work, I guess, was his exploration and then John Krakauer sort of like turned that into a story which had this huge impact on people, but pe people feel like they relate to him so much because of it um wait, yeah there was a quote from john john krakauer where so just recently like we said they decided to re remove the bus and people have complicated feelings about it and john krakauer said that when he first got there because he first visited in 93 when he wrote the article and i guess he must have been back several times but he said that it was all like very eerie it was as if Chris McCandless was just out collecting berries and was going to come back any second. His boots were there. His personal effects were there. Like his stuff was all just sort of still there. Cause you know, it's just, it's really out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and now and there's a suitcase full of like journals from people well, who went there. So in the years that followed, people started doing these pilgrimages and people would go and they would like write on the walls. They would write that quote, happiness is only real when shared. They would write, you inspired me. They put a plaque to Chris. They put up like Tibetan prayer flags. They, they left that suitcase. People would go and leave books and DVDs and all of this stuff, pictures, and people would want to go and sleep in his bed and just do all of, be in the, spend time there and the whole thing has become like a shrine to this man and um john krakauer said i wish the bus could have remained how it was but i wrote the book that ruined it oh my god uh, um that's intense and i think he feels some sense of responsibility because there have been lots of people who have gotten lost gotten injured two people have died they're, yeah, they drowned in that river. They drowned in the river. One of them was only 24. She was traveling with her husband and she'd been they'd been married for less than a month. And that was last year, right? That was kind of the uh, final nail in that bus's coffin. Yeah, I think so. That was last year. The one before that a 29-year-old Swiss woman died in two women who died? Girls, come on, learn how to swim. I know. Well, you can't. It's the fucking, it's like the craziest river. It's like ice cold, rushing rapids. I'm sure their boyfriends made them go. Sorry, but like, or husbands. No, I'm not. I'm not going to say that. I mean, I did, but I wish you I did. I just said they need to learn how to swim. We're both bad. 
Um, okay. So the, the last month, the bus was airlifted out by the Alaskan National Guard, which I think is a perfect use of the National Guard. Yeah, there is something that is a danger is to the public. There's this symbol that is causing destruction and hurt. Like, oh, it's good to remove it. They're like, get it out of here. Yes, it was cause. Yes, exactly. It's a symbol to a to a darker time that we need to move on from. And he and they got rid of it, but they are keeping it in a safe location and the Smithsonian do with it yet. I'm scared. They're just going to get rid of it. I hope that it's in like some sort of like Fairbanks museum or something, but I think they might not want, I don't know what they're going to do. I I don't think that they're going to get rid of it. I think it's, I, that would be crazy for them to get rid of it. I can't imagine there's a ton of tourism there just like on its own. I think there is because people like, well, I think people like want to go to the bus and people like want to hike and stuff. Like people go to Alaska to like go, you know, hike and fish. Well, and they can put the bus in the visitor center. That's what I think they should do. Well, we should write the good people a letter. And ask them to help us out by putting it in the visitor center and then we can go and see it. But one of my fantasies is like, don't you wish that you didn't know anything about this? You were like hiking around, but you were okay but you're like hiking around and you just like found that. Yes. That's my dream. Would you want to like, after he's, I mean, you know, dead, like now how it is right now, I would want to find like a shrine to this guy in this. Yeah. And be like, what the fuck is this? Be like, who is this guy? Then I open that trunk. I'm like, Oh my God, Emil Hirsch. I'm like, wait a second. I re- find his book. I read it in one sitting. It's pretty short. I'm like, I can't believe I'm here. Wait, Emil Hirsch put a book in there? No, if, when I find the DVD in there. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Sean Penn adapted and directed this book into a movie starring Kristen Stewart. She's in it? Is she Isn't one of I just remember Hirsch. Um, I thought that she was the girl when they go to um, Salvation Mountain. No, you're probably right. You're probably right. I don't really remember the movie. I remember he like meets. Yeah, uh, maybe. Emile Hirsch, Marsha Gay Harden, William Hurt, Jenna Malone, Catherine Keener, Vince Vaughn, Kristen Stewart, Hal Holbrook. Great cast. Yeah. 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 I remember. Yeah. 2007. Wait a second now. Okay. I remember like Marsha Gay Harden is like, she's like one of the people, she's like one of the like hippies, or is Catherine Keener one of the hippies? They both might be. Um, Burner type people that he's like kind of friends with. Marsha Gay Harden and William Hurt play his parents, I believe. Okay. Uh, but yeah, they go to that burner, um, I think it's Salvation Mountain in Slab City, right near Palm Springs. Because there was, the, there, they do like this uh, open mic night kind of thing there. And they filmed part of it there. And they, they are, ha- I feel like they're having like an open mic night. And she's huh. one of the hippie, like 
one of those like dirty girls. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, that is a great cast. Um, are you familiar with Emile Hirsch's um, bad behavior? Um, wait, is he like, did he do something bad? He did something quite bad, as a matter of fact. Oh, no. Yes. What did he do? Okay. Well, it was at Sundance, uh, February 2015. He, uh, some altercation took place at the Tao nightclub at Sundance. And he, uh, there was a female executive from Paramount, Danielle Burfeld, and he ended up putting her in a chokehold, body slamming her and dragging her across the table. Why? And nobody, he said that he like doesn't remember it and he was like fucked up or Fuck whatever. Him. He like checked himself into rehab afterwards, but oh he ended up spending 15 days in jail. Well, good. He should have spent a year in jail. Yeah, that's what uh, Danielle Burfeld said that, and Emile Hirsch's lawyer was, um, I didn't, I don't have the quote pulled up, unfortunately, but it was, it's something like, you know, nothing would have been long enough for her. It's, it's a, it's a crazy thing that he, he did. And wait, he's like, oh God, she like made me go to jail. And all I did was put her in a chokehold and like beat her up and, a, yeah. and pull her across the table. At, at Sundance, we should just be a bunch of nerds standing around awkwardly holding drinks and being like, oh, I like your documentary. I mean, Jesus. I also thought that that had a bigger effect on his career, and he has worked steadily since then. Are you uh, kidding? Like, no, I'm not kidding. The biggest thing, I mean, it's like it mostly you know, small indie movies, it looks like. The biggest thing was um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where he played Jay Sebring, which was a... a oh, that was a small part, though. Disappointment. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, he was Jay Sebring. Um, Speaking of Jay Sebring, I watched Shampoo recently. Have you seen that movie? I have not. Warren Beatty. Warren Beatty. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I know. I should watch it. Is it just like a fun romp about a fun hairdresser, womanizer? He's a sex addict womanizer. It's taking place during the election of Nixon. I had read this thing about how um, weren't, you know, people, people at the time said that the Manson killings were like the, the real like end of the 60s and this transition into like a darker time and Warren Beatty was like no it's when Nixon was elected so he's kind of like conflating those two events when together like 72 uh I think um 68 or um 69 it was like whatever that election year was 68 yeah so there's like all you know there's like this big republican party and like like a party for the republicans and mm -hmm. it's like the counterculture clashing with the establishment and how like counterculture ends up getting abs absorbed by the establishment and then he's just this a true like maniac fuck boy 
and he's sleeping with every like he just he's so compulsive he can't help himself god i don't know it's like a 24-hour period and he has sex with like five different people (laughs) wow but is it like funny or is it like i think i thought it was very fun i really enjoyed it i was loving every i was living for that movie (laughs) i guess he was re-elected in 72 in a landslide disgusting I hate this shitty ass country, but whatever. I don't really, but I do. This wretched land. I know. I'm trying to get the fuck out, but that's for another podcast. Yeah, next week. Next week. We'll um. Oh, should we do a word generator at the end of this? Oh, yeah, let's do a random word generator, and then we can pick what we're going to talk about next week. Okay, great. And then I also would love to read because you know our suggestion. We're going to call it. I'm going to call it our suggestion. Was um van van i have i found this poem called white van man okay i'll tell you what you read it i'm gonna do a random word generator when you're done with your poem i'll tell you what the word is okay i don't endorse this poem i truly only i i just found it to satisfy the theme is it white huh Okay, no, I'll just let's hear it. Yeah, just listen. That's just, that's just my disclaimer. White okay. Van Man by at Behind the Veil of Sanity. Oh my God. <laughs> he doesn't have a name. He just has an a handle. I am white. White is not a color. Thus, I am not of color. My van is white. White is not a color. Thus, my van is not of color. I am a man. I am of men descended. Thus, I struggle. I am a white van man. I am a white man with van. I am a van among white men. I am, oh my God, I read it all wrong. Am I white only or a blend? It's not good, but that's I feel like, is that like a Nazi poem? I don't. Or like a white nationalist poem? uh, I hope that I didn't accidentally give a platform to white supremacists. (laughs) I'm going to Google um, Behind the Veil of Sanity and... <laughs> Let's just look up at Behind the Veil of Sanity. Maybe he's been canceled as well. Maybe I'm about to be canceled. I don't think so, but I, I don't know. Um, my par- Behind the Veil of Sanity archive. Oh, wow. He's got a Tumblr. He's got a lot of poems, as a matter of fact. Um, Veil of Sanity. Oh, he's on he's hiatus. On- What's that? I said he's on hiatus. Because of COVID? I don't know. I just saw a post where it said, oh, shit. I Googled his name. I got to a weird website. I'm immediately trying to, like, it's trying to download a weird flash player onto my computer. And I just got, like, a weird pop-up for, like, a girl's butt. I'm getting off that website. But before all of that started popping up, it said on hiatus oh my god oh no i think that this is not good his website (laughs) oh no (laughs) i'm on his tumblr um okay i seasoned my arsenic let the nose carry the burden of judge jury and executioner i sniff you the whiff of rage turns me turns me turns me on and with a rising pulse I show you my back 
I season my arsenic without tears and myrrh. I carry on chloroform and the best of intents keep me going. Okay, this one says, I feel uneasy around you. I no longer trust the last of time is ours. Yet here I stand naked and sober crying the last of us, you, the wolf, I, we, and the moon above the howling and shivering of stars. I hunt without bleeding as you moan, as you cry, as you find the sought after the will of master and conjuring. Whoa. I, well, those other ones don't seem like white. No, no, no. You know, I, I, uh... Okay, here's another one. August 1st, 2019. Mm-hmm. And under the Christmas tree, a single parcel, a box wrapped in shiny paper with a string and a bow. I miss Marion and her songs. August 1st, 2019. And under the Christmas tree, the lonely boy sleeps, awaiting a future ephemeral. Oh, here's a little note he left. Hi, hello. Just wanted to thank everyone for reading my scribbles. Most of you do, I do not know. Some I do hold in very high regard, although you may doubt yourselves at times. For some of you, I have an allocated space on my shelf. Others are filling my walls with paints. I sometimes wish I had your voices inside my head, be it Scottish, Dutch, or otherwise. Just to add to the experience, the path we walk can be lonely, but we carry on trying to be true to us, to be the best we can with us as judge, jury, and executioners. <laughs> Thank you. Stay safe and keep writing. Oh my gosh. Wow. Interesting. Wow. We were lovers sharing the barren lands of mortal man. We sought no higher purpose. The fate of man sufficed. The cravings, the wash, the face of God wanting. We were, we were, yet not meant. Period. Jeez. Well, okay. So I think that he might just be like kind of not. I think he's just a poet. I think he's just a poet. I think he just wrote a poem about a white van. Van. He's a white van man and he's wondering what it means. And I am too, honestly. I don't know. And oh, I think that that's a worthy question. I do too. Also, Chris McCandless carved into the van that he was in, the bus. Jack London is king because he loved the book, The Call of the Wild. Oh, wow. That's why he went into it. Have you read any Jack London? No. Have you? No, I haven't. But um, he's on my list. (laughs) (laughs) It's supposed to be amazing stuff, you know? I mean, I don't, I don't know. I just know. I mean, something about that was just like really sad to me. It's so like, it's like something a young person would do. You know what I mean? It's like so youthful. The, um... To carve, like, your favorite writer is, like, king or to be, like, this guy rules or whatever, like, on something. Like, we're not going to do that now in our 30s. We don't give a shit. No, that's true. Like, something you do in your 20s. It's just something about that made me sad. Yes. Okay. Do you want to hear the word? Yeah. Palace. What's the word? What is it? Palace. Palace? Yeah. Oh, that's great. I think this is good because now I feel like next week we won't pick the same thing. Yeah, yeah. But we might. I don't know. I didn't think we were going to pick the same thing this time. But look at us. It was great to talk about this, you know? It was good to get it off our chest. We've spent a lot of time talking about this. I mean, not right now. I mean, like, in our lives. In our lives, yeah. In the past. Well? Well, we're about out of time. Do you want to say anything 
Mm, read another poem from Behind the Veil of Sanity. Do you want to dip, dip back into the man's catalog? I don't. No, I'm fine. Well, well Irene, everybody, thank you for listening. Thank you. I hope you will We'll learned. see you next time. We'll talk to you later. About a palace. Yeah, we'll see what where that one takes us. Okay, we love you. Bye. Bye. All the way down. Stick out your t-